and welcome to episode 23 of the 1099 for the week of December 21st, 2015. It is Christmas week. So probably, so normally these episodes go up on a Monday. This will probably be like a Tuesday because on that Monday I will be in a car with my brother and my dog driving from Jacksonville to Pittsburgh, which is 12 and a half hours. So I will be really bummed and wanting to actually be doing stuff, but in a car the entire time. Uh, so this will probably be up on a Tuesday and that'll be a few days from Christmas. I am just at the edge of almost being done with Christmas shopping. I'm excited about that. And you know, it's one Christmas present you can get people. Look at this transition. Ready? One of Nathan Minier's books. Uh, <laughs> hey, that was unplanned. That just happened. That was magic. So today I am joined, uh, once again, this is another return guest, uh, by Nathan Minier, who is a freelance writer, indie dev and author. Nathan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. <laughs> At this point, here's what I, I always tell you this every time I talk to you. I want some sort of kickbacks on how many books you sell. Because one, <laughs> there's the, the I did a Christmas advertisement for your books. And also, <laughs> uh, I was talking to Garrett about this earlier where a lot of the advice I give is right for pace. And before I would ever give that advice, I would always give the advice of read Nathan Minier's first book <laughs> before you seriously get into uh, freelancing. And that's and please correct me if I'm saying this wrong. It's up, up, down, down, left, right, and right with a W. So that was something that I think someone tweeted out one time. Someone, it might have been one of my friends who mentioned it. And this is before I had ever been paid. If I was paid to write, it was just by like smaller sites, but I'd never been like seriously paid to write. And um, I bought your book and I read it in like three days. And <laughs> a week later, I wrote a pitch and then sent it to IGN. And then a week later, I got it accepted. So. <laughs> Nice. It was like, it was a very one-to-one, like it just worked because I had never constructed a pitch before. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Like I knew how to, I generally knew how to write. I've gotten better since then, but I didn't know how to structure this request to people like that. That's one of the many reasons why I want to have you on because first off, people need to hear the guy behind the book, the guy behind the book that I think works better than almost anything. But also since we talked, um, which was a while, one of the first few episodes I had. I think you, it was episode two, maybe? I don't I know. I think it was. Yeah, right around the start. Um, a lot has happened for you. You've released new books. Oh, God. Games. It's really weird. It's new everything <laughs> since then. So I really want to dig into each of these endeavors, but really to start. And I want to know this personally. What does an average Nathan Minier week look like? Because oh, every Jesus. time I turn around, you have a new... A newsletter going out or a new book or suddenly there's this other thing that's happening I'm like when how how do you fit all this into a week so what's that look like man it it's utter wackadoo batshit craziness really. <laughs> i mean i don't even know how i manage it some days like i have weeks that are really good and i have weeks that are really just completely like what the fuck am i doing this is complete chaos and that's usually how my brain works like 90 percent of the time mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's part of the person the add or just trying to juggle like a couple different types of businesses at once but um yeah, average week is crazy. Like right now it's a little bit different because I'm kind of I've always this past couple of years too, I've been doing a lot of pivoting and we can talk about this more. You know, I was doing freelancing full time uh, for a long time and I kind of consider freelancing still as my full time job right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm also spending like quite a bit of time doing uh, book writing. I'm actually doing like course creation now. So I'm creating online courses from some of my existing books, but also writing new books and building them at the same time into courses. And that's a big part of what I'm doing in 2016. Like it's part of my ongoing expansion strategy. 
And at the same time, I'm also like constantly learning how to do shit. Like I'm trying to learn how to code in Xcode and with Swift so I can make iOS games natively. I'm learning how to improve my game maker skills. I can do more with games working on with uh, Touchfight Games, which is my other uh, indie studio. I'm trying to also learn how to figure out how to do like what I want to do with interactive fiction without having to use Twine, which is kind of cool, but limiting. I want to do more. So like I'm trying to constantly learn and do at the same time and keep myself afloat financially and not drop all the different plates I'm spending at the same time. So <clears throat> it's really often just a mix of just craziness every day. Uh, um, I guess it's sort of not really a good answer. No, <laughs> I, I, th I think it is because it's, I could imagine being craziest when you have that many different kind of cooks in the kitchens or irons in the fire in that way. When you talk about classes, are those kind of structured as if they're almost web seminars? This is an interesting thing. Like I discovered Udemy a couple years ago, and that's one of several online platforms. But what the, that that and other similar platforms do is they let people create courses, <clears throat> and they're video online courses. So there's mostly video. Sometimes there's other uh, aspects like audio and, and like downloadable elements or text, but it's primarily video. And it's a platform where kind of like the Kindle storefront for Amazon, where people can purchase a course and have lifetime access to this course and take it at their own pace online. So like if I go on Udemy and buy a Udemy course, I can watch it on my computer. I could take the video lessons out as I go. And there's other elements like uh, discussion boards and like interactivity with with instructors and students. But I can also go and like fire the app up on my iPhone and take the course while I'm, you know, driving on the bus, whatever, you know, like, so it's kind of like an online course system that you can, uh, people can create courses and then you can actually buy courses and watch courses. So I've been doing both. I've been buying a lot of courses to take and also creating some uh, and I find it's a really cool way to learn how to do new stuff, but it's also a good uh, way to make income as someone who's trying to expand different things. And learning how to do new stuff and expanding different things sounds like something that that's in your DNA, where you're not the person who's <laughs> going to stand still, do one thing. You need to keep you know, trying new things, seeing what's out there, and kind of growing in that way. But when did you get to the point, uh, while being a full-time games freelancer, when you decided, this isn't enough for me, I need to make games i need to do that because i feel like when i first started talking to you after i had read the book that was your primary focus and correct me if i'm wrong uh, was pitching to you know polygon GameSpot, all these different places yeah. and making your primary income from that and then yeah serious yeah that's and that's and i remember reading your book and you had said like you know there's ups and downs financially there were times where you're uh once again please correct me if i'm wrong you're making close to maybe 40 or 50 000, 60 000 off freelancing was there any years like that yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. Like <clears throat> last year, I mean, I, I don't mind. Part of the things I like to talk about is both with my self-publishing and other projects is sort of transparency. So I've had some really crappy years as a freelancer um, and I've had some really good ones. And this past year I've made over 60,000. I mean, last year I made over 6,000. This year is a little bit different. I've had some ups and downs and I've had years where like on average it was less than that and more than that. You can make really good money as a freelancer, but <clears throat> it kind of has changed a lot depending on like what you do. So there was a time where I could make that much income or, you know, comparable doing entirely games focused freelancing, but it's shifted a lot too in the past couple of years. Um, things like Gamergate has sort of put a damper, put a damper on things and mm -hmm. some media consolidation between sites closing in and, and either ma magazines going under and places shuttering. So there's been a lot of shifting in the landscape and that's not necessarily the entire reason why I've done different things. Um, but there was definitely a period a couple of years ago where I kind of saw like, Things were changing and I wanted to branch out because at one point, like 
you, when you work your way, I mean, I went from like writing for like very small websites that didn't pay much to writing for like Nintendo Power, official Xbox Magazine, IGN, GameSpot, pretty much every big name in the you know publication in the games industry. Yeah. I wrote for it. And you're, when you do that first amount of time, you get used to like good rates. And, but then those places would shut down and uh, it was just sort of a mess. So like <laughs> I found that I found, so it got to the point with like where you're making really good money. Like I was, there was a point where I was doing like a dollar a word rates. And you, when you start go from that to like, wait, stop a dollar yeah. a word. Yeah, I mean, for we're doing the print magazine stuff, especially like Nintendo Power, like all those places that aren't exist anymore. Um, it. I missed that window. Like, yeah. for me, when I was hearing that certain sites, and this is public knowledge, I'm not, you know, mm. exposing anything. Like uh, Polygon was doing like 25 cents a word. I was thinking, like, man, if I do, like, yeah. an easy thousand word feature, like I'm making money. But if you do a thousand word feature for Nintendo Power, you're just you're rolling in it. Yeah, it, for the most part, I was doing more like a hundred word reviews. <laughs> so it was like that sounds like a, doing the greatest like, thing ever. It was really good. So like doing like okay, here's a cool game. Like I'm doing the whole thing. Like I'm playing through the game, but like then I go sit down to write it, and you have to condense everything into a hundred words. Boom! Like you can once you get the playtime, and you can rock some of those out really quickly. And it's cool. Like, so you're like, all right, I don't have to sweat it so much. You don't have to touch on every goddamn point in the entire universe about this game. It's like, you just have to condense it all to like a very concise, very like pack all the information you can in like hundred words mm -hmm. and you get hundred bucks for that or whatever, like 200, two, you know, like a 250 word review. Like that's good money, but that didn't, have, that didn't, you know, that kind of went away when uh, a lot of the print publications started dying and the budgets shifted and whatnot. And, you know, now it's fairly average to get 25 cents a word if you're lucky for a lot of online web writing, yeah, if you're lucky. whether you're in the games realm or not. I mean, um, part of what I'm doing now primarily with my freelancing is for the places I still write for. It's more content marketing. It's brand journalism. I'm writing more uh, doing journalism style work uh, for companies directly. Like, uh, and this is something that's, you know, I was interested in earlier and I started kind of shifting over as I kind of got out of games press writing more, doing a little bit part time, like doing uh, blog posts for tech companies, um, wanting to write about, you know, topics that are related to their audience, but also weave in, you know, branded messaging or links to their products or whatever. And that kind of sounds to the average person who's used to doing like games journalism, games press, whatever, mm -hmm. as kind of like shady, like, Ugh. But realistically, like that's really good money and it's writing the exact same kind of stuff you'd be writing doing games coverage, but just applying it elsewhere. So yeah, that's and been like a big focus for me, um, working with a handful of like techie clients and core and games related companies, mm -hmm. um, doing some mock review work on the side too, not that I'm completely out of games press. <laughs> um, but like all that stuff too, like it pays well and it's still as fulfilling as when I was writing about games. Um, but you know, it's it's. I do miss that sometimes. I do miss. I don't just miss doing you know thirty five hour play sessions for game reviews, for you know two hundred two hundred fifty bucks a pop. But like, I do miss the experience of like being so tuned into like what awesome game is happening now. So I've had to shift gears and do some different things. And uh, I found. I, mean, I don't want to segue too early because we have got some other stuff to talk about. <laughs> but like, game develop development has sort of fulfilled that um, that missing element that I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, when I was sort of in between worlds. <laughs> when you get when you get outside of video games you can often find at least what i found is there is more money to be made doing similar things i was uh the first job i interviewed for um was in pittsburgh after college the first big you know big boy job was a technical writing job where i would literally be writing manuals for manuals. like <laughs> yeah but and when i when i learned kind of what it was about i'm like that seems boring as fuck but i the pay was like sixty five thousand a year um yeah yeah i, I, mean, I didn't end up getting a job and I think I would have been okay with it, but also 
I would have had to do a lot of freelancing on the side because I would have been so creatively kind of sapped in that way because that's not what I love. And I enjoy my job now, which is uh, still writing. It's it's writing about software and about um, different development, agile practices and stuff like that. But I need my freelance as my kind of creative outlet. So you had mentioned that you know, you're still enjoying what you do and there's, there's a little bit of a longing for, you know, games are probably your initial passion when you got into this. So of your multiple gigs right now, what do you find to be the most creatively fulfilling? Is it the development? Oh man, this is, this is a tough question <clears throat> because it's, I, I've kind of, um, as I transitioned out of games press writing and doing more general freelancing and then accidentally kind of started an indie game studio, that was not an <laughs> intentional thing. I was like, Hey, I've got some friends that kind of know how to use Game Maker and I kind of know how to use Game Maker and let's just kind of do a project. Then, oh, well, let's start a studio. And that kind of goes the death knell of like, well, I can't write game reviews anymore because I'm actually making games. So that was what pushed me completely out of doing games for spreading. But um, what do I like the most out of all this? It, it's really tough and it changes from week to week. And that's part of the reason why I do so much and I'm always pushing myself. I, I probably push myself harder than I really should. Like, emotionally and physically and just like sanity wise <laughs> but that's part of how i'm wired like i'm always wired to be doing like i can't it's very hard for me to be idle and be like un, even relaxing is really hard for me because it's like when i'm not doing anything that's productive or constructive or like pushing towards a goal i feel like i'm like like suffocating <laughs> it's like and, it's a weird feeling oh no i understand that so much um and i think that does come along with having that mentality of i need to keep pitching and the more yeah. you put into it, not only the more money you make, the, but the more you're building your quote unquote brand and the more outreach you have. And that's something that has absolutely changed you know, personally for me because I now work, uh, I work from home. I, it was a desk job and then now it's the same company. I work from home and it's, you know, it's, it's a nine to five. And that rush that I got from I, when I was writing for a, a news for game ranks, I was writing six stories a day. So I'd wake up in college at 5 a.m. I would uh, make some coffee, eat some breakfast, take a shower. Uh, write three news stories, go to class, come back, write three more news stories, go to the gym, go pitch somewhere. And it was this like, go, go, go. And you do the thing. Yeah, you do the thing. You'd wake up at five and by eight o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, you're officially quote unquote done. And there's like breaks in between there, but your mind is always going. And since then, um, working this full-time job, it has changed. It sounds weird. It's almost changed my DNA in that way where it's, this might have something to do with like my recent freelance drought a little bit because now I don't need to hustle for the money because the money right. is coming in from what I do. Um, but yeah, that's – I wonder if that's something that let's say you somehow – I couldn't even imagine you in this role. Let's say you had a desk job, a nine to five, which I think <laughs> is against everything you stand for. I haven't um, had one of those for about 12 plus years. I wonder <laughs> if you would either go crazy or you would adjust and adapt to it. Or maybe you'd have a desk job and then come home and freelance for – yeah, that, that's what would happen. I would be working. This is what I used to do when I first started doing journalism as a news reporter. Like I would go in to work and sit at the desk and do my job. And then any second that I wasn't working, I would be fiddling on the internet or like taking notes for a special side project. Like it's how my brain is wired. You can't, and it's kind of, it's kind of a freelancer thing, but it's also kind of like an entrepreneurial thing. People who are wired this way just can't stop. And yeah. it's, it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Other times, like there's definitely times when I drive myself to the point of like mental, physical exhaustion. And I just like break down, but there's other times where I just keep going. And it's like, that's how I can put out so much stuff into your, like, 
I, I actually I'm getting to the point where I'm like starting to think, take stock of what did I do in 2015 and what I want to do in 2016. Like this year, I think I've launched four books, which was below my six to eight book goal is what I originally had, but that was pretty solid. I want you to know but, I have never launched a book, so um, <laughs> I'm currently at zero for the last 23 years. So, <laughs> so I launched four books and I, and, and I wrote some of those partially at the tail end of last year and into this year, but like, and that, but the reason that slowed me down is I actually decided to put out like a couple different games. So I put out two games this year. I did, I learned how to use Twine from scratch. Like I, I started doing video stuff. Like I did some, I started where I've, I spent quite a bit of this year working on several different online courses. I'm doing a course on podcasting, which I haven't launched yet. I did within like a 10 day span. I did like this thing, um, Gumroad, which is like an online platform for selling anything like digital products, like books, eBooks, uh, courses, audiobooks, whatever, doodads. Um, they had this thing called the small product lab challenge in like September. And I was already like jam packed with stuff to do already at that point. But I was like, Hey, let me do this. It's a 10 day challenge. The idea is to within 10 days, you conceptualize a product you create and you fucking launch it <laughs> in 10 days. Do <laughs> Almost it. Almost like a game jam in a way. It's exactly like a game jam, but it's like whatever you want. And I'm like, oh, I'll make an online course. Woo, let's do it. <laughs> and I decided to make an online course about how to make online courses. And I used the experience of putting it all together within that time frame as like the model for what the course would be like. So it's crazy. So I built a course in 10 days and launched it. And then I actually expanded afterwards and I put it up on Udemy and some other places. But like, I built a thing in 10 days and that was really like, wow, I could do this in like a week and a half. It was a little bit crazy. And I piggied that between like finishing a game, launching a game and the week after launching another game. So I literally, by the end of like September, I wanted to just like jump off a bridge. Mm, and that I, was a very, that was a very challenging month. October <laughs> was pretty challenging too. I feel good this month, November, December, December is a good month at this point because I'm not ready to like jump off a bridge <laughs> it, has, it has to swing and that's you know like you said it depends on the success of where you're at at the time what's selling what's working is the money good is, yeah it's tough am i actually getting the money back after i send invoices and thankfully it sounds like you you are married correct yes it okay. does help your wife is keeping you kind of like grounded in terms of like if you were let loose alone and this is something that i know from experience sometimes when you don't have someone there you just keep working and don't realize that you're overworking yourself yeah uh, this sure. actually happened to me so when i was really freelancing at the start i was with a girl for like five years um and i was doing college i was doing a job for like not game related money and i had like three different freelance things going on one was like a like a news thing that i was tied to other than it was like GameSpot and ign all this stuff was going on and like it totally made that relationship like yeah. really contentious because it was so do much that. work. It was so much like, can we go out and do stuff? And by the end of the day, you feel like you worked two days and one or three days and one and you're so exhausted by the end that it's hard to enjoy other things and not have your mind kept on it. So and I think at this point, I would assume <laughs> that you've, you've found a way to at least it's hard to disconnect, but disconnect and be like, I'm going to go to the park or I'm going to go out to dinner with my wife or I'm going to yeah. watch Star Wars and not think about the fact that I have a deadline in 24 hours. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a little bit better this year. There's been some chunks where I've been really good about like enforcing myself to like do human world things. <laughs> Then there's been months where I was like, I need to finish this. So I'm going to work 15 hour days for like two months straight. So just that's what's happening. Yeah, that's not healthy. Um, 
that's why we didn't record this podcast this weekend because <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to bring I, that up. Yeah, because like we was talked like, about doing that this you know over the weekend, and you're like, I I got to get out and like do stuff with my wife. I'm like, you know what? That's good that you yeah. like can do that, and I totally understand and appreciate it. Yeah, and it's rare because like I try, I always do because I spend my weeks working primarily on freelancing. Part time on the weeks, I'll throw in if I have a light day, I'll throw in some game development or I'll throw in some. Uh, like on Friday, I recorded three hours of audio for a new course I'm working on. Oh, it's a lot of audio. It is really, and I have to edit it soon, and then I'm going to turn it into video, and then I'm going to put that into a course. So like, but like it's um. So I was like, okay, let me just do this on Friday. But like, I tend to work through the weekends whether I'm not working like work work, I'm doing project work, and as sometimes like. The thing, the things that I do, every aspect of what I do, I love. Like I love making books. I love creating things. I love making games, um, and I love freelancing because it helps pay the bills, but it also satisfies a different level. Like each tier of what I do, and there's kind of three core pillars right now. They all satisfy different things about my creative professional world, and I love them. And that's why I'm able to work like literally nonstop um, without completely imploding. But I still like I'm tempted uh, because I'm just always like. My brain doesn't turn off because partially it's like I have wicked bad ADD and I've always had it and it's just never gone away and I don't take drugs for it because I don't believe in taking drugs for it. Mm. Um, so it's very hard for me to turn it off when I'm just like, I can't be idle. So there are times where I'm like, I force myself to play games for fun and that's cool. Like Star Wars Pew Pew came out and I've been playing Star Wars Pew Pew for like, <laughs> well, doesn't make any picks. They're like that. I'm um, leaving that in the podcast. Your guinea pigs are making an appearance. My guinea pigs often make appearances in podcasts. <laughs> the best is when I'm doing like a, a really important business meeting through Skype and they start howling or wrestling. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I forced myself. I sold my Wii U because I haven't used it in like three years. So like, okay, I have no money. I'm going to, I mean, I have money. But <laughs> I'm not broke, but I definitely had a pretty rough spell this fall because I took so much time on these other projects that we'll probably talk about soon. But I, um, I sold my Wii U and I was like, hey, I can now buy the games like the triple a games i never buy games i always buy like a couple dollar indie games or ios games because yep. it's the only thing i have time to play and i don't really give a shit 90 percent of the time about triple a games because it's not in my scope of like what i give a shit about mm. but i was like you know what star wars pew pew i need some star wars pew pew even if it sucks i just i need some star wars in my life so that's been like my de-stressor i'm going to be a human and just play some video games outlet and i try to get into fallout 4 and i've been playing and i'm enjoying it but like i just haven't had the time to devote to it i have a lot of trouble playing games for just like for fun. fun for fun and it's it's a weird thing that you know a lot of you know half of my career is related to games and i review them and play them but there's this weird thing now where if it's not a means to an end whether that be a review paid for or something <laughs> yeah and that, that's 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 the way like i've said that before it's like man that's i sound so pretentious so i'm like i'm not getting paid for this i'm not gonna play this video game and like it's it sounds weird but it's kind of true and so i'm doing a um a game of the year podcast soon for a couple of freelancers and i'm it's actually tomorrow which doesn't make any sense in the scope of when this is actually going to publish it'll be next week's episode everyone listening um and that actually helped me start playing more video games because it felt like I was actually doing it for a purpose. Right. It's, like and it's a really for... weird thing where like, I don't know if this, this career has somewhat ruined casual video game playing, but it kind of does that sometimes. I have the exact same experience. When you mentioned star Wars battlefront, uh, I'm similar with like, I, I, I love basketball. So um, I reviewed NBA 2k 16, but also that's my game where let's say I work my normal job. I, go to the gym, take my dog out, maybe set out a pitch or do something. I will just sit in front of my TV for an hour, allow myself that, and just play NBA 2K because 
play for fun. Yeah, there, there's no story. I'm not like progressing. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't need to worry about levels. sessions. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's like I'm going to play a game online or I'm going to play as my creative character and just de-stress. And Call of Duty is that way for me or Battlefield's that way for me where I feel like some weird casual gamer. But it's just kind of how I've become. And it's it's a strange thing. And um, speaking of strange things, I'm just full of amazing segues today. Uh, <laughs> I want to know, so... And we had alluded to this a little bit earlier. Have you gained a new appreciation for developers that you think would show in it? Let's say you start writing more reviews for GameSpot or IGN or someone like that or features. Do you think if I cross the streams, if you you cross the streams, let's say you did that and let's say that happened or let's say you stopped doing development suddenly like I'm officially not a developer. Now I'm going to do uh, games journalism again or games criticism. Do you think that would show in your writing? Because now you've you've been in the trenches, you've seen you know how the sausage is made to a certain extent. Yeah. Not not every, some, you know I made some shitty sausages, <laughs> <laughs> and like you've made games, and you've had people like you, you know certain outlets might you know score one of your games poorly, and that's always or all of my games poorly. <laughs> so how do you think that would change how you review games? Well, first off, I don't think I'd ever be able to go back. To be honest, I, I think now that I, I've I never got into video game journalism or freelancing to become like to use that as a springboard to, for development, like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I really generally was like, I want to just write about games. I want to write about, I love writing about things. I want to write about something that I love, and video games is one of those things. But, um, you know, and I, and I had a great, I've always had a great respect for developers and, you know, especially indie developers. I've always, when, before I started writing about video games, I actually, bought a copy of Game Makers before it was Game Maker so it was like Game Maker like two point something or four point something. This was like fifteen years ago before like indie was indie or whatever. And I started making games. This is like when I was before I got a job, I like was unemployed at the time. I was looking for work and I right before I got my first gig as a journalist, like working for a newspaper, I was like, okay, well, in between the job search, I'm going to like code some games and learn how to do that. And Game Maker is great because it lets you do that if you don't know what the fuck you're doing to start off. Um, so I started using Game Maker like a long time ago before I ever started writing professionally and then I dropped it because at that time there was no way to sell your game to the internet we had dial up internet I didn't even like it was such a different world from then so I was like okay well if I want to sell my games I have to like make them on floppy disks and sell them on the store at my local mom and pop like grocery counter like that's not gonna work so I said fuck it I'm just gonna bag this you know it's cool it's fun but I want to you know make money from whatever I'm doing so writing is what I'm gonna do Fast forward a really long time. <laughs> I was like 15 years or something from that. Um, it's just, I've always had an appreciation. Like when I first started writing about games professionally, I've always, you know, I, first initially it was like, yay, triple A games, Nintendo games, woo. But after a while, I'm like, all right, how many Mario games can I write about with enthusiasm? Like you get to the point where just like, I don't really care about the 90% of the generic stuff that comes out through like the triple A pipeline. Mm. I still care about some of it just because, you know, I, I, I grew up being a gamer, but like, I've always been a big fan of indie games. So like when I was pitching columns, when I was pitching coverage, 90% of the time it was like me trying to get indie coverage placed. And um, so I've always had like a very large appreciation for indie developers. And I don't know what that's done for like me now that I am sort of an indie developer on part time. I mean, I don't don't have any illusions of grandeur that this is going to be a professional full time thing anytime soon. Like if I'm lucky and we get like a half dozen games out and some of them do okay, then maybe I'll be able to like do it part time on a more sustainable financial basis. Yeah. But like I love doing it and it kind of brings me back around full circle to like when I first started writing like 
how much I loved being able to kind of be not quote unquote cheerleader, but like being able to say, like, let me give some coverage to this small developer that's doing something really interesting rather than this giant company that's going to throw, you know, $2 million budget at their game and they're going to sell a million copies and end the story. Like back when like Super Meat Boy and all like these, uh, I'm trying to think Braid and some other, like when indie started to really kind of like become a big thing yeah. sort of for the first time with the advent of digital distribution, it was really exciting because that was right when I was like, I, I had such a hard time pitching indie coverage and it probably it's not that much different now, but like this is before people took indies like seriously for the it's, most part. Like It's, it's better different. now. It's especially it's quite... <laughs> for reviews, I think, because a lot of um, my review work uh, at GameSpot would be me um, getting a code from, let's say Disco Dodgeball or yeah. a smaller game like that. I would get it in my inbox or I would, I would see it to be interesting and then I would tweet the guy and the developer and be like, hey, can I have a code for that? Um, like, and then oh yeah, I would, we want coverage. Yeah, exactly, and that's exactly what would happen. And I would pitch that to a GameSpot or an IGN. As long as they you know, didn't have anyone on it and it was a new game, they would be like, sure. And that that was much easier. Even you know when I started, it was a little bit harder. But then within like a year, I'm like, oh, this is happening more. Like you're right, it's it's, it's the braids of the world, and it's the certain things like that that just kind of it started clicking. It, people are like, oh, the, people want to read reviews about this stuff, and people care about these indie games but for you this has to be it's a double-edged sword where oh big i was gonna say i i fucked myself big time <laughs> well i was just with um so when you launch a game on steam now there are like 800 other games that launch that day so because indie games are so pervasive now um it, it has to be really really hard to stand out unless you get a YouTuber to cover you or a major site like GameSpot or IGN to cover you. Let me tell you, there's two levels to that. There's one, like, because I came from a game journalism background, I've essentially screwed myself trying to get any sort of review coverage, period, because I've written for all the outlets that are going to review my game. So, granted, there's been quite a bit of turnover, so there's still some places I can, like, get people that don't have, you know, haven't worked with directly or haven't helped directly. Mm. Um, but a lot of places, like, it's, I mean, part of it, we're, you know, I'm a new, newer developer. We have a newer studio. I do seller projects, and I have stuff with Touchify Games, which is my indie studio. We haven't paid our dues yet. We're still getting our first few projects out. We put one game out and we're working on like two or three other really interesting games. But like we haven't been out there long enough to really like earn that level of like, yes, we're going to cover your game. We're going to give you instant coverage. Like, and I, and I totally get that from a press and developer standpoint. Um, but because I've written for games, but I and like all these places, so many people in the industry know who I am or I'm not saying like they all necessarily know me, but like I've, I've directly helped a lot of people yeah. and that has kind of fucked me in terms of like being able to get any sort of coverage. You know, I can't, it's challenging because on one sense, we're still new, we're still getting that development. But like, you know, um, getting those reviews is tough. Getting any sort of press coverage is tough. And and I understand it from the press perspective and from the developer's perspective. So I kind of like, I get that and it doesn't bother me as much. But there's definitely days where I'm just like, fuck man, I spent three days sending like 500 emails and nobody wrote about my goddamn game. And that's fine. Like, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but you're just like, okay, so then what do we do? And this is an interesting thing that's happened and sort of where your initial question was leading to. Game reviews, like the few places that have reviewed our game, there's actually been a couple places, like the first game we put out, Go to Bed, was a first project. So it looks great. Our artist, Len, did a really amazing job with artwork. Um, and I did most of the coding and I didn't know shit about coding. Like, I'm going to learn how to code a game. Boom, let's do it. Mm. And I did it. And I think what I created in the time frame I created was pretty cool. Like, I was able to make a game. But it's, it's sort of casual. It's sort of a weird game. Like, there are a lot of people who like this kind of games might like it. But a lot of people are just like, 
fuck, this is a piece of shit. I don't want to play it. And the thing that you should not do ever as an indie developer is release a casual game on Steam because you will get people emailing you and sending messages to you saying you should die for putting a game on Steam that is a casual game. Yeah, on but it's like this belongs on a phone or what is this not doing on a tablet? Right, on exactly. Steam. That really screwed with my head. Um, having like basically like pushed aside my paying work and doing all kinds of stuff, I spent like a good chunk of, of this past year working on this damn game because I wanted to finish it. We put out like sort of initial version on iOS and it did pretty well for like, you know, we sold some copies. We made back our, you know, what it cost to like cover our expenses for basic studio stuff for that year, which is really low overhead. We're, we're bootstrapping it for sure. And then I was like, okay, I just need to get this game out. And we got it green light. It's like, okay, because we have no, as an indie developer, we had no other places we could sell this damn game besides iOS because we could pay a hundred bucks and build the game and put it on thing. And that whole thing was an ordeal just because of getting it on the platform. <laughs> it's not easy if you're not already developing it on a Mac. So, mm -hmm. uh, but like, okay, Steam is great. It's like, we have an option to sell the game. And it went through Greenlight and like that was exciting. We launched it and after I spent like, you know, I was like, I need to finish this game. I just want to get it done. We've got other projects that are much further along that are going to be much likelier chance of selling. I was like, let me just like take a couple weeks and finish this game. And this was like a couple months ago. And I pushed myself like 15 hour days for a uh, long time just trying to finish it. And literally I launched it and it was just like, <laughs> like <laughs> we sold, I think I made like 150 bucks total from the studio. Like, uh, it's been in a bundle like people are buying it and some people really like it but in general the fact that just by the sheer fact that it's a semi-casual game on steam people hate it and they hate us for making it and it's <laughs> That's really the weird a... part where i don't understand that part <laughs> where it's like i hate you for making this I'm like what do you what did what did i do against you like this wasn't some exactly. weird slight against this person and like it it's a less, lesson learned for me. Like, I know better. And a lot of the games we're making now are not casual. That was sort of like, we have casual games that we're working on, like more iOS-y friendly games. But a lot of our like meat and potatoes, what we make is just like weird, dark, nerdy, RPG, weird stuff. Like the stuff we're coming, like in the games that are coming out in this next probably 2016 are weird games. Our roots are like RPGs and like weird stuff. So I think the stuff we put out on Steam, hopefully in 2016 and beyond, will be much better received. I think it's going to be... I think 2016 is going to be a better year for us. But, like, that was really hard for me to be like, okay, I'm going to push aside all my book writing, all the other things that, like, generate steady income and just, like, focus to get this game. Like, I hyper-focus to get this game out only to have it, like, super ultra shat on and just basically, like, didn't sell any copies. And um, and it's really tough. And I feel really proud of what we were able to create, but I'm just, like, I'm ready to move on. And it's a learning experience. And, like, I, I, I know yeah, you sure. know that, but definitely is. And it's one of those things where you, you learned maybe, like, okay, I, I can now code even better than I did before. And now I understand I the so market. Yeah, I you learned go, so you, much from that year. You through <laughs> the, the, the green light process and you understand all those different things. And, you know, once again, like, what works, what doesn't work. And I think that's, you know, you didn't invest so much money where like oh well this didn't do well so it's it sinks me it's it's one of that that's the benefit of having so many things going yeah. on like per, peripherally around that our goal as a studio was to make enough money to cover like the business licensing for the year and the cost to have like the ios license renewed so that's like 500 bucks maybe ballpark like yeah that was our goal was like if we can make 500 bucks back and at least we can just like we're not paying ourselves for any of our time here we just want to like keep moving forward and build that momentum and, you know, the cool thing is, and I haven't talked about too much, like we do have a game that's coming out hopefully in early 2016 that I think is going to be a lot more fun, a lot more, I love playing it, I love making it. I think the people that I've showed it for have been really excited about it, which is not, you know, it's 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 a challenge. But like, 
it's going to be coming out on Sony platforms, which is really exciting. We finally got like hooked up with a proper platform to mm. launch on, which does make a difference. Like I know Steam is kind of like the big one of the big ones because it's just such a huge audience. Um, but it feels really good to have a game coming out on Sony devices. Um, yeah. And we haven't even officially announced it yet, so it's sort of quiet. Hush, hush. And we're also <laughs> working on several other projects at the same time. But like, that's hopefully you're going to help things on the development front but on the, but here so anyway I, i'm rambling but like so that launching go to bed our first game this year was really tough and i feel really great about what we were able to accomplish and i'm happy to be done with it even though uh it was a really challenging uh you know couple months this past month or so that launch was sandwiched between uh me creating an online course me putting out a couple of books um trying to rebuild and kind of like all that freelancing i pushed aside i had to like in you know october november hustle to build it back up just to keep some income flowing. Mm. Um, and then I also launched another game, which I developed on my own, uh, an interactive fiction, really fucked up kind of horror dungeon crawler game called This Book is a Dungeon, which is also a development diary book at the same time. So right before this, I made a full game on my own and learned how to use Twine and wrote an entire like 40,000 word book on the entire process, documenting the process and talking about interactive fiction and Twine and whatnot. So I did all this within like a very hyper condensed time span. So it was a really, it's been a really fucking crazy year. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. And like, uh, even when but I'm feeling better things, now. <laughs> even when one of those things might not like hit, and like while you still have those things going on, it has to be like disappointing where you're like, I, I sunk all that time in there. Like, why isn't yeah. this working? And like, like you said, it's to me, it, it seems like when you're starting off writing, it has to be similar when you start off game development, where the first few you learn so damn much, even if they might not be. <laughs> as successful as you want them to be. And you mentioned uh, your book writing. So yeah. when we talk about income at all, you, you talk about how like uh, the first game, you know, wasn't exactly this big source of income for you. Um, yeah. And you had kind of tapered off a little bit on the freelance work because you had all these other endeavors. So it's a juggling act. <laughs> it's a juggling act. <laughs> yeah, it is a juggling act. So when you look at one of these books and you had published multiple in a year, how financially successful have they been? I know each one's different, but Sure. How much of your income has been from these books? All right. Well, this is a very interesting question. I will super dig into it um, to kind of cap off the game development thing because that sort of ties into this question. Mm. Um, when I did the This Book is a Dungeon Game, which was also a Kindle book, I actually initially launched it on Kindle as a book where you could actually buy the book and it would get the, a link to the game inside the book. It was sort of this weird conceptual experiment thing. Um, that sold okay, but it didn't sell really great until I worked with an indie publisher to actually get it greenlit and put that on Steam as a game with the book available as a free download inside the game. Mm -hmm. So that doing that actually like was really good because actually that game, oddly enough, as weird and dark and creepy and weird as it <laughs> strange as it is, actually has sold pretty well and sold a lot better than my our first other game. And that, that was a solar project, but like that made this sort of whole crazy experience of game development feel a little bit better it was sort of like hey sort of a loss sort of a win sort of a wash uh, comparatively can you do you know kind of like numbers in terms of not maybe not the money but how many units that sold on um Steam? i sold over a thousand i mean this is like very small scale when we're talking about like development because most yeah. people are like oh yeah we sold like you know tons of thousands yeah but you're copies. one person and yeah this is your first few so this book's a dungeon last i checked uh, I don't know. I think it sold like over a thousand copies like i've made a couple thousand bucks from it and that mm -hmm. feels really good considering you know I launched, I did like, took three months. I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to document the project. I'm going to make it. It's my first solar project. It's an interactive fiction game with like nerdy, creepy dungeon crawler elements. 
I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just like, I'm just do this and make it happen. It's exciting, and I'm and I don't know if it's gonna work or not. And it didn't work that great initially, but then it kind of picked up. So that that felt good to be able to, and it's still selling now. Like I'm, I feel good about it. People have been reviewing it fairly favorably on on Steam. Like I didn't get totally shit panned yeah. <laughs> by gamers. Um, and you know, a couple of the the few bits of press I was able to get were pretty mixed or negative, but like players have actually really enjoyed the game. So that's good. Um, but like moving on to book stuff with that. So that, that's like a chunk of it. That actually, that has been a good boost because it was sort of like a book and a game together. Um, this year has been very weird for me. Um, I started off a couple two years back, three, two and a half years back with uh, kickstarting my first book up, up, down, down, left, right, which was an experiment because I didn't know how to write a book. I was like, I knew I wanted to write a book. I didn't know how to do it. Um, I was like, can I do this? Can I help people? Um, all of my books are primarily, except for this book, are nonfiction books because I, I like to write about writing and I like to write about teaching people how to do things. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of the first book that showed me that I can actually do this. Um, and it was it's like a 65,000 word book. It was a year and a half long process of craziness and it sold pretty well. Like I uh, from the initial Kickstarter plus the additional sales, like I made a good chunk of change from that. Mm. And that just sparked me to keep pushing forward. The three or so books I launched after that really didn't sell very well. I did a follow-up called Interview Foo, which is about doing interviews in the game journalism world. And uh, it's a great book. I think it's in some ways it's even stronger than the first book, even though it's very more condensed and, and focused. It just didn't sell. It's sort of like a eat your eat your carrots book. <laughs> you know, like yeah. this is something you should know and be good at, but like no one wants to buy a book about how to do interviews. <laughs> and I did a book after that uh, called Freelance Writing Hacks, which sort of built onto the first two books. And then I did a book that was a, a total pet project called Coffee is My Religion, which was about like essays on the writing life and whatnot. And no one bought that at all. <laughs> so at that point, those first four books launched, I was like, okay, well, um, this has been a fun adventure. I want to keep pushing towards writing other books. But I was just like, I kind of was like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because I know at some point you got to keep pushing forward if you want to succeed. That's how I succeeded as a freelancer. I just kept, I set my long distance goals. I set my short term goals. And I just kept checking off the boxes as I did okay. And I, you know, licked my wounds when I had, when I took it on the, <laughs> took it on the chin and just had to keep pushing forward. Mm. So the fifth book, I think it's the fifth book was a book i decided to shift gears and do something different so i wanted to write a book about the self-publishing process and i kind of rolled it into like my feelings about the process like i'm fiercely independent i'm fiercely diy i, I i've tried for years before i did all this to like pitch a book to a publisher and it's just like i have really strong feelings against traditional publishing and i think it's really gross mm. so i decided to write a manifesto that was sort of like here's why you should write kindle books here's why you should do it yourself and here's how to do it yourself so that book was called Write Short Kindle Books, and I launched it in January, thinking maybe this will do pretty well. Like it's a little bit broader of a of a niche focus than how to write about video games for a living. Yeah. <laughs> and it it um it started off okay. I was like, oh, I got a couple sales, and then I got a couple more sales. And then it actually got to the point where like I was selling a lot of copies. Like I've made many thousands of dollars from this one book, and really? it got into the number one charts in several different categories. And it's been a Kindle bestseller. And that one book kind of was like, wow. Okay, so those first four books that I did before, they were kind of hit or miss. This has made it worthwhile. And it's really had a positive impact on my world. So let me just keep going. So well, I did a book after that. Compared and to the first that. one. Uh, so the first one is probably the most successful of the first four. Um, so compared to the first one, where did the fifth one rank? Like like how many times more copies did it sell? Wow, that's it's really hard to think about the numbers. Um, I've sold more than 5,000 copies of Right Short Kindle books for sure okay um i the monetary amount i'm not sure i know i've made like 
a really solid chunk of change from that. And it's, yeah. you know, it's tapered down. Like I'm, you know, before I would, when up, up down, left, right launched, I sold really good at launch and I had the Kickstarter to kind of roll into that. I launched the book like a year later after the Kickstarter went. So there was some leftover Kickstarter funds that kind of helped pay for things. Um, and then the book launched and I got some sales, but then it tapered down pretty quickly. Mm. Um, right short Kindle books launched and then it stayed at number one in a couple different Amazon categories for like three or four months straight. Like it basically just beat out everything else in its category for a long time. And that was not expected. That was sort of like, wow, this is happening. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, like I and it's, it's two ninety nine books. I'm not. I make like you know two bucks basically per sale of the book. And for a while, I launched at ninety nine cents. So I was really making like thirty percent, thirty cents per copy initially. But um, but it just kept it stuck on the top of the charts. And that's sort of the way you can find success on Kindle is to launch a book, get up there, and just sell enough copies that it sticks. And I can um, already see that it has. I just googled it. Uh, close to two hundred <laughs> customer reviews. So that has yeah. helped too. We're almost up to two hundred customer reviews, and it, that is. That took a long time to get, like, but, and not most of my books have like you know between ten and forty reviews. So like, and they're but they're all like four, four average four to five stars, which is really helpful too. Like if you write a crappy book and people hate it, then like it's not going to sell because people are going to see those negative reviews and you're done. Yeah, <laughs> this book actually did pretty well because I've got some one star reviews. Like any book you write, people are going to be like, "This is crap. I already know this shit." Whatever. <laughs> Overall, though, it's been really positive, and that's helped kind of propel it. Like the initial positive reviews the focus of the book like and i didn't know it was going to do well it was sort of like a shot in the dark like this is what i think i did some a b testing like what do you guys think of the covers like let's do some research um what do you guys like had some beta readers get some feedback and people really responded favorably so um i just said let me just do it and see what happens and it did really well so like the book after that didn't do as well but did pretty well because of the first book and I made it into a series and I've done a bunch of other books sort of since. So it's been a weird process. So like that was a long story of like randomness, but like I, there was a couple months where I was making like one to $2,000 a month, just passive income from book sales. Wow. Um, in general, it's been less than that. Like it, it kind of spikes when you launch a book and if you do well, it'll sustain for a couple months and it kind of slowly tapers down right now. Maybe I'm making like three to 400 books bucks a month from book sales and across like all of my books so like the more books you put out the more income you have to spread between different books and i'll do like sales and do, i'll do price pulsing i'll do a new book the problem is i haven't launched a new book since like may mm-hmm. aside from this book which is completely separate from all the other books if you write a book in a series if you write interconnected books you have a much better chance of doing well with your books particularly if they're in a popular niche like i have a whole series based on uh, it's called the Indie Author Success Series based on that first book where I'm continuing to write books about self-publishing and different aspects of it. And those, as I put more of those out eventually in 2016, like each of them cross-promote each book. So every book I come out with will have links to other books and and it helps build your audience. And I've built been building mailing lists and things that will um, kind of all come together to help generate more sales. So that's sort of like the whole thing about Kindle books is like you can't just do one book and put it up there and be like, yeah, awesome, I win because... You, even if you do really well and knock it out of the park the first try, which is really hard to do, over time it diminishes and you're going to be like, well, I'm not making any money from this book. And I still have books I launched that don't do well. Like I launched a book called The Niche Freelancer. Part of it, I think the title and the cover maybe just didn't resonate. But like it's a book about how to do freelancing, not specific to game journalism, but like how to make good money and get started as a freelancer. And I sold, and it's a 99 cent book. I just, like, oh, I just put it out and put it there and it barely sold anything. So it's really just all about experimenting and trying different things. And that's how that's sort of been my, 
uh, how I've been focusing my time, just like trying to branch out and do different things. So I'm writing Kindle books. I'm making classes now based on Kindle books. I'm focusing on the niches that are selling well and doing things that work. And I'm making games as on the side too, in sort of the same way. So, <laughs> and experimenting and trying different things has to be like must be your motto at this point with how many different it things you've tried is. throughout your absolutely career. Is. And I know a lot of people um, who might listen to this podcast are either freelancing on the side or maybe they're full-time freelancing. Um, so you've been through that life. You've been through the, I'm going to freelance for a living life and now you have all these different things. Do you think Do you think it is viable right now with kind of the, the market in terms of just video games writing has shrunk? And that's hard to deny in terms of the outlets are, there are fewer out there to, you can make a lot of money from um, yeah, comparatively. Sure. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is going toward video and streaming and uh, podcasting so do you think it is viable and possible at this time to make a comfortable living by just doing freelance games writing or do you think you have to supplement that income with similar strategies that you're doing yeah i would say now probably not like and it maybe it necessarily not necessarily was for back when i wrote the first book like it's funny because i look at up, up down love right now and i'm like thinking like all of those things, for the most part, still apply as a freelance freelance writer. Like, but at the same time, the industry has changed so much, and opportunities have changed. You really have to diversify, and in, in some ways, you have to branch out. In other ways, you have to kind of niche down, like find your niche about like what you're good at writing about, what your specialty is, and how you can stand out as a freelancer. Um, it's it's tough. Like, I don't know that I can make a full time living without being like crazy hustling all the time. Uh, as do writing just about games in the current state of the way things are at the same time like i naturally it kind of worked out well that as the industry that i you know condensed a little bit i was kind of bored with it to an extent like i've been i, I don't do well doing the same thing for too long which is pretty obvious if you look at what i should have done <laughs> so i got to the point where like hey i've been doing this for six seven years like awesome like some of my best outlets are kind of closing like i can still make decent money doing this but like i kind of want to do something different at the same time so i started branching out I think if you want to get into games journalism or games, people people like crap on me or they just in general get kind of like grumbly about the term games journalism. I do too at this point, thanks to Gamergate and whatnot. I, I like, think that was the common term back then, yeah. especially when I was like 16 and my, you know, bright eyed, yeah. bushy tailed looking for what <laughs> I want to do. And I would always say games journalism. Now I think I just say games writing. Um, or yeah, for same. me, it's been mostly like games criticism because I mostly write reviews at this point. But yeah. I, I really don't begrudge you at all for... <laughs> games journalism i think it's fine yeah but i mean i think it's like uh, any freelancer that's starting out now or you know getting you know staying afloat it's really important to not just be like so like when i started off i was very narrow focused like i was going from a journalism job that was paying really shitty i was making twenty thousand dollars a year full-time salary oh. writing you know really high pressure intense news stories where i had to interview three four people per story and like get all sides of the story and like do a lot of stuff that was just really stressful really not interesting to me as, as not a, in base my personal interest for that squeeze right so like doing that to like freelancing i within the first year i was making more money immediately like oh i'm freelancing i'm writing about games and i'm making definitely more than i was making as a you know journalist uh doing newspaper writing and those gigs probably don't pay that great now even so because that whole industry is drying up too but like you really need to be willing to diversify and not just be such a so bl blindsided too like i i love writing about games when i was writing about games more 
I also enjoyed writing about other things like craft beer and music. I mean, I initially started off pitching stories about music and games. Like I did a whole bunch of pitches when I first started off as a freelancer. Like uh, I tried to get interviews with like Arcade Fire because I was really into Arcade Fire and I wanted to like interview the band and I came really close to doing it, but like that didn't work out. I was pitching stories about, I think one of the first articles I got, the feature stories I got um, actually like paying stories was a piece on 8-bit Game Boy music and I interviewed Alec Empire who was one of the front people for a German like industrial punk techno band called uh, Atari Teenage Riot mm. which I loved back in high school and they were just fucking loud noisy rah. so like and I interviewed the guy who made Nano Loop for Game Boy which is a Game Boy looping program like so I did a story about like music and video games like I I didn't necessarily like just go into games writing being like, I want to do game reviews. Yeah. I have lots of interests and games are one of them. So like to make it as a freelancer in this industry, I think it helps to not just be so focused on one particular thing. I mean, it's good to niche up and have like a a specialty. Um, I was, I've always been very indie games focused in my coverage and that's sort of like my beat. So I know indie games in and out for the reason why I'm part-time game developer now, like, doing indie stuff but like that's always been a passion of mine so if you find those passions that you can click like look at uh, like michael martin who's doing uh, esports coverage and like street fighter stuff like mm-hmm. dude's got like a passion about a specific topic and he be- quickly became the go-to guy for a few outlets to cover that kind of thing so that's an example of like ways you can really niche down and find benefit from it but at the same time you also have to be willing to branch out and do different things too because you don't want to paint yourself into a corner I get when I, I mean, over the years, I've gotten so many emails from people saying, hey, can you help me out? I want to get a gig writing about games, but I want to write essays about Final Fantasy or I want to write like a, I want to write an op-ed piece. Don't talk about about my personal emails on this podcast. (laughs) Come on. No, listen, how do you know how many people have had Final (laughs) Fantasy? But I get a lot of people saying, I want to be an essay writer. I want to share my opinion as a person who plays games and get paid for it but if you don't have any other background experience doing reviews if you don't have any clout in the industry like people don't give a shit who you are even someone like me if i was like i want to write opinions about this most people don't give a shit who's nathan minier he's some dude that's doing some shit like so you have to you know show that you're you're skilled in certain areas like i wouldn't ever pitch opinion pieces for the most part because who am i to have an opinion about something uh as a freelance writer, for example, like, but if you can specialize in those, like I know how to do journalism and reporting interviews, let me do something really awesome there. Like I can do great interviews and turn them into really interesting stories and find that hook that makes them so exciting. That's one of the things I focused on when I was trying to break out and and that helped me stand out in a very crowded market where everyone wants to talk about video games. So yeah, anyway, this is long, that was totally a side, but like you can, I think do okay if you want to write about games and you don't have to worry about making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. But as I've gotten older and I've had like, you know, when I was younger, it's like, hey, any making any income that would be kind of like a part time or full time job, even like a low paying one, felt good to me. But I've been do I've been writing professionally for like twelve plus years. So like right now, I, I want to be making like in the next ten years, I'd like to be making like uh, upwards of, you know, like six figures because I have plans to do certain things, pay off my house that is a money pit of hell. And like <laughs> I've got goals that I want to do as I've aged up. So like you know, I, I would love to be able to pay the folks at our studio, like our three, you know, my, my two comrades and myself, like a decent part-time wage to make games. So yeah. we can do it part-time and feel like we're not so stressed out trying to just like crank out a project and just get it out the door and hopefully it sells and do something else. And meanwhile, we're all working a lot of other hours and times. Like, Well, but like, then I agree with, you mentioned not painting yourself in a corner. And I think that's something that is, you know, I, 
a lot of people who want to write about games are extremely passionate about it. And I know Absolutely. I was this way where uh, I, I have a um, communications degree with a concentration in journalism. So I, I did communications because I wanted to give myself a broad enough education that if, if it didn't work out, I'd have other options. But in my brain, when I was 18, 19, even 20 years old, there was no what if I don't make it? That was never anything in my head, which yeah. is a good mentality to have for a lot of things because it means you work really hard and you have, you're confident and have a great work ethic. But it also means that this industry, as we talked about, certain parts are shrinking. The, the chance that you are going to get a full-time games writing job is slim. And that's just being honest. Yeah. Um, here's, the, here's the silver lining in that, though. It's not any different for any other fucking industry, to be honest. Like, so like this is one slice of what I'm doing freelancing. I actually do good, pretty good because I've been able to work my way up and kind of catapult myself into like corporate higher paying like content marketing gigs because of my game journalism experience. Like that was actually really valuable to the clients I work through now, which are often games and tech related. So they'll pay more because I have all the expertise mm. from many years of covering games and being an expert in that. So if you can build an expertise around something, you can make a lot of money doing it. Even if you're not doing game reviews, oh, whatnot. without a doubt, yeah, <laughs> for and sure. I, think it's, I also think it's really important that um, let, let's say you were in a similar situation that I was, where you're getting out of college and your mind is set on, like, I need to, like, I am a games journalist, and I'm, I, I, you know, I know I'm good enough, I know I have the experience, I'm gonna get that job. Sometimes this is not me being depressing, like this is me like talking about reality, and there's also silver lining, like you said. Um, even if you have written a GameSpot and IGN and all these other places, and you have good grades and you are a good writer. It's a lot about there's just scarce jobs. It's it's a lot of it is timing. There is a luck aspect to this. So for me, I, I think yes, there's a way. That it's possible to freelance full time and make your living that way and wait for that job to open. And it's also very possible that you get out of college and you prove me wrong and you immediately get a full time job. That's not impossible. But I think it's also extremely important to be willing to take a job that isn't games. Um, like uh, for me, it's this writing job in tech and continue to freelance and still of course my eventual goal is to be a full-time person at a a major outlet that's always been the goal for me and maybe that'll change but right now that's where i'm at but you got to understand that and you and i both get the question all the time you know how do i get into games writing and i'm going to be a games journalist when i writer games criticizer when i grow up um and 100 i wish that person the best and i will give them any advice to help them get there but more than ever, like the game has changed and yeah. <laughs> it's important to have a backup plan. That is so critical <laughs> and to be able to do something else. And in the meantime, continue to get better at freelancing. So if you want to be a full-time freelancer, I it's possible. But yeah. <laughs> I would consider if you really want to be financially comfortable and not super hustle and you are your dna is super hustle and that works for you but so if anyone else other people who are don't aren't built like that consider getting another job and always keeping <laughs> yeah. your options open and make sure you're keeping up to date on games and you're still writing and you're still keeping up with editors so that they don't forget who you are this is the cool thing about freelancing once you know how to do it and you're good at it you can always do it no matter what else you do like <laughs> i'm probably I, i'm not freelance like I, I guess i'm kind of freelancing part-time now i guess i don't know i'm not making a ton of money from all of my projects but like there are certainly some that help and i've been doing different things i'm trying to expand because my it really for me freelancing was a, a means to an end to 
obtain a certain lifestyle and that is to be free of the nine to five grind. Like, and granted, freelancing is hard work and you have to really work your ass off to get somewhere. But like, I didn't want to work a day job where I didn't have control over my income, over my hours, over what I could do when I wanted to do it. That's what freelancing was for me. And the reason why I wanted to push so hard to get into freelancing was to be able to say like, hey, I'm going to get up this time and do this work for five hours and then I can take the rest of the day off because I made like a good chunk of change in those five hours yeah, um, or whatever. Being able to choo- pick and choose. Like I, I don't turn down a lot of work right now, but like there's definitely been times throughout my entire career where I've had to say no to gigs because the pay wasn't as good or it was too demanding or my time just, I didn't have time available to do it. Like to be in a position where you can make those calls is really part of the reason why it's great to be a freelancer. But for me, even so, like that ties in personally to a bigger picture, like level of like, I, I never thought myself as an entrepreneur because I, the, the term sounded stupid to me for so long. <laughs> but the more I've like kind of learned about things, the more I realized that's exactly what I, I am. Like it's not about freelancing or making games or writing books. It's about doing all the different things I do to create a lifestyle that allows me to be creative to make income from what I want to do and just to be free to call the shots and kind of shape my entire professional world in a way that feels satisfying to me and also, you know, pays the bills. And that could be really challenging to do, which is totally evident when you look at like the ups and downs I've had over the course of the past couple of years and particularly this past year or two since making these crazy big pivots. But like, that's what it's all down. That's what's all about. Like um, the analogy I was making before, like the silver lining is yes, like you can make really good money freelancing, you know, you use it as a springboard to other places, but like in the book writing world, like not every book I've written has sold amazing well. Like not every game I've put out has done really good, but I keep working at it and building on each success and and using that as a springboard to kind of level up and try it, like learn from each experience and apply that to my next venture. And that's so critical. I use that to get from being like a nobody freelancer to working for Nintendo Power and all the other places I've mentioned before. And I'm using that same mindset now to work my way up. Like, okay, I've I've launched eight books. I'm making a decent, like, passive part-time income from them. I have higher goals and I'm pushing to write more books and do um, higher paying products that tie into those books, like courses and things that, you know, people will pay more for and get more value from because they're a different format. And, like, I'm trying to learn and do different things. And game development, you know, if we happen to have a game that did really well, I could find myself in a position where I don't have to do anything else but just make a game for three years and not have to sweat about the income. Yeah, I'm not banking on any of that because I know the realities of the ups and downs of these, this sort of world of trying to be creative and make money from it. And it's just part of the reason why I have all these different aspects to what I do. Part is because I'm crazy and I have wicked ADD, <laughs> so I can't focus on one thing for too long without like snapping and being like, I need to do something else for a little while. But the other part of this, like you have to kind of build, it's like the whole, with a freelancer, it's like putting your eggs in so many different baskets. If you have a gig that is your one major gig and that's your relying on that for income, if that gig evaporates one day, I've woken up numerous times throughout my career on like a Monday and be like, okay, here's this article due for this outlet. Suddenly that outlet doesn't exist. That happened mm-hmm. with GamePro. I had an assignment due for GamePro and I woke <laughs> up and I was like, whoa, what's this in my inbox? GamePro's done, evaporated, boom, nothing. Yep. I was like, oh shit how am i even gonna get paid like what the fuck so i've experienced that so many times i know that nothing i do i i, I don't take it for granted that anything i'm going to do is going to be a hundred percent um you're covering uh, your you bases know. yeah you're covering your bases and you're spreading yourself out in different directions which can be dangerous if you do it too spread yourself too far but like being willing to use use the spread shot instead of the laser for use contrary analogy. Like, yeah. You're gonna hit more enemies, you're gonna have a better chance of success, and you know, you're gonna not necessarily get screwed if your one shot misses. Um 
and you know sometimes you're going to hit it really big with some things like i've had a couple of my books that have sold really well and that made up for all the books that didn't sell that year you know yeah. um the one game i the two out of the two games i created this year like one sold really not great and one has sold decently not amazingly but you know decently so like that's encouraging because like i put the time to do it um it's just it can be also very draining too so uh the underlining uh, under under message of all of this is to like you know pay attention to your own limitations and mental health and and whatnot and uh i definitely i had a couple of like mental breakdowns this fall and that was not something that was healthy for me or my yeah. family or anything and i because i pushed myself too hard and i talk about doing all these different things and you know like um there's so many times i've failed through everything i've tried to do and the you know you have to kind of know when to like reassess and take a step back and be like okay like here's my breaking point i need to step back and like reassess and rejuvenate before i try to do the next thing and um in the freelance world i've had that happen numerous times too like it's very stressful sometimes when you're trying to juggle these things and it's very reliant there's so many ups and downs to the freelance lifestyle and you know income and you get used to it after a while and you if you write for like 12 15 outlets like i was at you know in my heyday of freelancing like you don't have to worry about too much because you know that oh if that two thousand dollar check doesn't come in like some other check is going to come in and cover it that month. Like, yeah. It, but when you stop, it's like when you stop pushing forward, when you stop uh, pitching, like I, you know, I've stopped pitching when I'm bed doing some of the other things. Like, you start to like sort of narrow yourself down financially, and it become very, very stressful. So, there's certainly a balance you have to set. And um, a lot of the freelancers I know, and I've talked about this a lot about my another podcast and whatnot, um, about sort of like the mentality of freelancing and how you know there's definitely some challenges you can face. And as an entrepreneur, as someone who's doing like too many different things at once, always, <laughs> like it's definitely there's that danger of you're going to like push yourself right off the cliff and I'm sort of going down sort of a dark alley here. So I can lighten <laughs> no, it up. No, and I think like, it works as, um, you know, normally during the end of these podcasts and we're like a little bit around an hour now, like you kind of do like a, we kind of like a going away piece of advice. And I think yeah. what you said right there, we can kind of both take that as like a final piece of advice as freelancers, which is make sure to cover your bases but don't spread yourself too thinly in the process because yeah. of course you want to make sure that if something falls out you have the backup but don't let freelancing become such a stress on you that it affects other parts of your life negatively um and it's sure. <laughs> it's definitely a learning experience where there are going to be times where you don't have enough and you're going to struggle in terms of income but there'll be times where you have too much and what if one thing in your life goes wrong, you're going to break because you've now set yourself up where all of your time is accounted for. And when something else suddenly this review you turned in wasn't good enough, you need to fix it or your car breaks down and you need to spend time doing that. But you don't have time because you're doing this. It's <laughs> it's a balancing act. Um, and yeah, I think you've been through the ringer. You've gone, you know, had your ups and downs, but I'm happy that you are on the track now. You are. You <laughs> I've are, had a good month. This you're, is, you have a good month. I, I have a baseline income now. Like I, I definitely like had to rebuild my freelancing groove through. I, I'm right, right now. I'm writing for like three or four steady clients. Yeah. Um. That's for a normal freelancer who's just doing like lower paying work. That's dangerous. You don't want to just have like three or four clients. You want to have like 10, 20 clients if you can, if you're lucky enough. And if you can keep those, you know, like if you can do that, if you can spring that much work, that's great. I think at like the heyday of like the games journaling stuff, I was doing probably like. It would change from month to month, but like, you know, between eight and 15 different outlets I was writing for on a given month. Now yeah. I've got four clients. So like if one of those drops out, 
I'm going to be in the shit storm again. <laughs> so, uh, but the benefit of being like the kinds I work with are, are it's higher paying gigs and it's a little bit steadier work where I'm not pitching constantly. They're giving me work because I've established myself as a person who delivers a certain level of, you know, product, you know, I'm writing stuff. They know it's what they want and they like it. So they're just going to keep kicking me work. And I don't have to sweat too much until there's some weird random bump in the road. And that happens no matter what kind of gig you're writing, what kind of industry you're writing in, there's going to be blips in your, your radar. So you can never get too comfortable. Um, and that's part of the reason why I've had you know so much fun branching and doing different things. Like I've made some decent money with games this year, even though when you actually cover the amount of hours I put into making them, it's super not even breaking even <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, but like that's been cool because like oh the the income that I lost from spending all that time to work on getting uh, one game out the other game like helped make up for that that month when the check came in a month later and so like do, being able to do different things and uh, you know I think it's important this is sort of a completely different topic like branching into video doing other different finding other ways to diversify what your income streams are like can be really great because um, you know for me I'm doing books and games and freelancing but for a freelancer you could do articles you could do video content like you know some of your other press interviewees had like great luck with doing youtube stuff like mm. um you can diversify in different ways you can branch out to content marketing which is a big thing like if you want to you know take your skills as a freelance writer and you're, and if you're not necessarily tied to being a critic or someone who's very journalistic in terms of like what you're writing about for games you can jump the fence and do work for corporate clients and make really huge bank doing you know consulting work and whatnot and yeah um, so there's lots of opportunities and i think being willing to not just narrow yourself down to like i'm only going to be a games writer or i'm only going to write reviews or i'm only going to write free you know, like opinion pieces about um weird japanese rpgs or whatnot you know like that's my shit you just wait <laughs> i'm gonna start my site everyone's gonna be writing for me about weird jrpgs but you're an interesting point because like you're, you work a full-time job now too mm -hmm. so but you're also freelancing on the side so this is the other thing that's really important like if you make the leap to full-time freelancing and you're like oh shit everything's fucking falling apart and you're screwed and you're like i can't pay the bills this month you have the ability to go and hunt for a day job, but also keep freelancing on a part-time basis, which is really cool because, you know, for me, I've never been, I've, I've gone to the point where like, I was like, I knew early on my freelancing career, I'm like, I don't ever want to go back. Like it yeah. would take a lot for me to actually take a full-time job working for a client. Like, and I, and I have turned down like editorial gigs being an editor for places because like no fucking way am I going to like take a set income, you know, to work for one place because to be honest, a lot of the editorial gigs in the game industry, you get canned or, or, you know, like as you work your way up and you start making more money, you're the first person to get cut when the, when the budget gets trimmed. A lot down. of so hungry like, young people who will take. Absolutely. There are people that will, there. that will take a $25,000 a year gig taking your spot when, if you're making like double that. So, um, and I, and I'm not saying that to be like a jerk or anything. Like it's reality. Like freelancing, people think they're like, oh, I get a full-time job in the game industry. And that's safe. You're absolutely not safe. I can count on two hands and some toes the number of amazing, amazing editors I've worked with at big sites across the board that have, you know, just been, you know, pink slipped because it's like, oh, we're making cuts. We need to hire someone younger who will work for less. Like, boom, for whatever reason. And it's not to shit on the different outlets because there's certainly financial business reasons that go behind those decisions. But like, it sucks when you wake up and you're like, your favorite editor's like, I don't have a job. Yep. And they don't come back. <laughs> and that's I, it. I have been there in terms of editors yeah. where I'm like, oh, this is a bummer. 
Yeah. So yeah. there's that balance of like you can always go back to a day job if you have to as a freelancer. Like, and it's and it sucks to do that, but know that you can still like keep an iron in the fire and still get some additional income. Like, so what if you're writing like one or two articles a month and you're making a little bit of income? Like, that's cool. Maybe you can pay for your video game habit, or you can buy yourself a new TV, whatever. Like, yeah, it's I'm, I'm working you... towards getting a laptop because I really need a laptop, and I'm using like a couple passive income streams I have to like gradually put like $10, $15 up at a time until I can get to the point where I can afford to buy a laptop. Yeah, you can still fulfill your creative like outlet while still having a full-time job. And if that's, you know, if, if you're okay with that, that's that's how I do it. I'm having, I'm great with it. It just, it depends who you are. And I think you'll learn over it's time what so works specific. best for you. It's totally. so specific to individual people and what their needs are. Like if you have a spouse that makes good income, you maybe you can afford to just freelance part-time. Like yeah. if you, you know, like it all depends on your goals too. Like, you know, I'm married and I make between the two of us, we do okay. Like, but we also have 10 pets in our house. We have bills <laughs> and like, you know, it, it, it adds up. So like it's all specific to your income. Like if you're young, if you live in an apartment with some friends and you don't have a huge overhead, you could totally get by doing, you know, $20,000 a year with a freelancing. Like, and that, you know, like there's, there's options out there, but it just depends very much on your own situation, what your goals are as a writer and a person and like what your living situation is. Like if you're living in San Francisco or whatever, you're going to be paying a lot more than what I'm paying for, you know, your rent is going to be like double what my mortgage oh, is yeah, out really? in the middle of nowhere, Vermont. So, uh, you know, it makes a difference. And so that's, you know, it's all in perspective. So I don't want people to be like, oh, well, you know. I can't do it because I'm not making X amount of dollars. It just depends on yeah, what It just you're all doing. depends. And uh, if people want to get the more technical side of it and even more in-depth stuff, they should uh, – here's my moment to plug you. They should read your books. <laughs> um, and also you have another freelance podcast, uh, The Freelance Game. And that is uh, similar in terms of you will get, hopefully get a lot out of it if you're looking to be a freelancer compared to like what you're listening with mine, except it's uh, not an interview format, more of – the nitty gritty of what you guys have gone through, uh, you and your co-host and whoever else comes on. So people should look at that too. Thanks. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, I won't, even though we're competing podcasts, rival <laughs> podcasts, really. Uh, there's no such thing as competing. There's, here's the thing. When I buy a book on how to knit dog sweaters, which uh -huh. is, you know, like, I want to buy like 15 books on how to knit dog sweaters that's because one person's opinion on how to knit dog sweaters is not going to fucking cut it. So that's the magic of things like, there's no such thing as only one podcast. Exactly. Like, no. Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's, you, there's you so much benefit in getting different perspectives. So, yeah. Which is why I've loved thing. the 1099 <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> well, thank you. Someone, someone else covering a topic that I feel passionate about that is not me. Awesome. <laughs> I can do. I can listen to someone else's show. Yeah. And uh, this feels like full circle for me. So <laughs> it's always great to have you on, Nathan. Um, Thanks, man. I think we've hopefully people will kind of you know get an idea of what you go through and take pieces and parts of that and maybe apply it to their freelance career. Um, I would not be on IGN if it wasn't for you. So I always appreciate Thanks. talking to you and kind of, you know, getting your input on things and seeing where you're at. Uh, and who knows, maybe one day I'll write a book. Yeah, you about, should. Uh, knitting dog sweaters. That's actually. If you can write a freelance article, if you can, okay, so here's the thing. I don't know. I don't realize we're short on time, so I don't keep it. You're good. If you can write five articles that are 10,000 words, you've written half of a short book. Here's the thing. My first book was 65,000 words. No fucking way would I ever write a book that long again, period. And that's yeah. why my manifesto was write short Kindle books because with this format, the digital format, you can write books that are 15,000 words to 20,000 words or more or if you want and have it be really like tightly focused and info packed and really value added 
and it doesn't matter because you're selling it for a couple bucks and people will totally buy that and it's great. I love buying books that are a couple bucks that have very narrow focus on a specific thing because I want to know about that one specific thing. I don't want to give a shit about reading 70,000 words when one chapter is what I want to know about. So yep. if you have something you're interested in, if you have a skill you can you sell, write a fucking book. Don't even hesitate to like, like I'm going to do this. Just make it happen. And if you sell a couple copies, great. If you sell a ton of copies, even better. That's how I got started. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> what can I write a book about? Uh, I, what do I know how to do? Um, I'm not a fiction writer primarily. I do some interactive fiction, but like, I like to write about what I know. So I've spent years learning how to break into games. Or so that was my first book. And through the course of publishing many fucking books, I decided to write a book on how to publish books. So like anything you know how to do. Book. Like if you know how to do, if you've built a really strong YouTube channel, you could write a book about how to teach people to do that. Any skill you have, you could totally make passive income by doing self-publishing, by creating courses, whatnot. And this is what I've been doing. This is like the bigger picture of what I've been doing the past couple of years and pushing towards beyond game development and freelancing, like is to share the knowledge I've accrued and find ways to make income from it while also giving benefit to the people that I want to help, which is writers, authors, uh, entrepreneurs, creative folks of all sorts. So like, anyway, that was a long time. No, story, but totally. But... You've always been generous with your time and you, <laughs> what you've learned in terms of you know over your career that i i know it's helped a lot Thanks. of people so that's uh, part of why i do what i do i want to help people anyway if you, if you want to help yourself <laughs> you can go to and this is my shameless plug. No, I'm ready. Um, you go for it all right uh to, because it's easier to remember uh, you can go to www.indieauthorsuccess.com and that will take you to two of my eight books it's it links to my series that's specifically about self-publishing but from there, if you want to click on my little name under one of those books as Nathan Minier, it will take you to my entire author page. You can see all eight books. Um, my other one is www.gamejournalguides.com, and that's really hard to spell and remember. So, <laughs> But yeah, if you want books about how to learn how to do different things about writing, I've got eight out. I've got at least a dozen more in the pipeline. Many of those are being turned into courses. I'm trying to help other people, but also make a living from that. And uh, I appreciate your support, and I hope I can be beneficial to you. And thanks again, man. It's been super fun to be on this podcast. Oh, totally. I'm and ramble about on. some totally random shit that I do uh, and make a living from most of the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's been great. It's been great to talk to you again. Uh, just have you know an individual kind of interview like this. We can go over everything and hear how things have been going. So buy those books, people. Uh, subscribe to his podcast. Uh, look for 2016. We'll find Josiah's 30,000 word Final Fantasy VIII fan fiction, which will be my first self-published book. <laughs> I would buy it. I would totally I, say, buy it. I would buy it too because I'm going to write that shit. Not really, but there's people that would buy that. Oh God, don't give me ideas. <laughs> um, so thank you everyone uh, for listening, and also you guys should tune back in next week because that's going to be the way too long game of the year discussion. That is going to be me, uh, Carolyn Pettit, Tom McShay, and uh, Ian Williams. We're all going to be. Oh God, it's going to be interesting doing a, you're going to be doing a, um, a top 10 list, a, a like overall top 10 list among the four of us. So we're basically going to be arguing over which games we think are better and blood's going to be shed. Um, it's going to be really scary, but Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, it's, there's be no advice. The only advice is you probably should listen to that podcast. You must die. You must die. <laughs> so Don't thanks breathe. again, everyone. Thanks Nathan for joining me for this one. And thanks Bella for shaking right at the end of this podcast, my dog. Um, <laughs> and yeah, hopefully you guys tune back in next week for the game of the year special after Christmas of the 1099.